0: Praise God. Well, we're in the Proverbs chapter 6 tonight. Now, before I dig into this, there's just some things that we need to understand about Proverbs. Proverbs, and the pastor had mentioned this in some of his teaching previously, Proverbs is not a book of spiritual laws. The word Proverbs basically means wise sayings. Now, when Solomon came to be king of Israel... God appeared to Solomon and told him, he said, ask me what you want. And Solomon asked for an understanding heart to rule God's people. As a result, Solomon ended up being the wisest man that ever lived. So what Solomon had was an intense ability to understand principles and human nature so a lot of what you have in the book of just give you a couple of examples here in this Proverbs it says that if you train up a child in the way they should go when they're old they'll not depart from it That is, I've had people try to take that as a promise from God it's a spiritual law I raise my child right they can't possibly go wrong but the, scripture, the spiritual law is that God gives everyone a right to choose you can raise your children right and they can still go wrong uh, the, I've seen the flip side of it is people will beat themselves up and say, well, I, mu- I did everything I could, but I must have raised them wrong. But, and so they beat themselves up and they get guilty about what did I do wrong to cause my child to rebel? Well, maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Maybe your children just made some bad choices. Praise God. Do we need to switch microphones here? I sound like I'm coming in and out. Everybody hear me? Okay. So, most of the book of Proverbs can be summed up in four pretty simple words. Don't do stupid stuff. (laughs) And what what Solomon is doing through most of the book is he's going down through things in life that people make decisions on and telling you, Don't do this kind of stuff, but do this kind of stuff instead. Now, Proverbs 6, there is four distinct sections in it, and I could make a 45-minute sermon out of any one of those four sections, so I'm going to try to move along pretty quickly here and cover each of these. Proverbs 6, verse number 1 says, My son, if you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. What he's talking about here is the concept of what we would know in our modern society of co-signing for somebody. If, uh, let's flip over to James while we're here. Let's go to James chapter 4. I want you to show you something. When you co-sign for somebody else, you're putting a huge amount of faith in that person, and I'm not one of those that's Says says, you know, you should not absolutely go in debt for anything. But scripture principle is that the borrower is servant or slave to the lender. And i tell you what, anybody here who's ever had a bill that they weren't able to pay knows exactly what I'm talking about. You've got that thing hanging over your head. You've done something and now you're trying to figure out a way to get out of it. And, you know, the principle that I've instituted in my life is if I do have any loans, I make sure they're really well collateralized. So if something goes south in my life, something comes up unexpectedly, it can be liquidated, and I can pay that debt off and not be left saddled with it. But this is talking about putting your name on the line for somebody else's debt. And in James chapter 4, verse number 13, it says, Come now, ye who to say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city spend a year there buy and sell and make a profit whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away instead you ought to say if the lord wills he shall we shall live and do this or that but now you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil now on the surface that may sound, you know, say we're going to go to this town and we're going to do we're going to do this. We're going to start this business. We're going to make all this money. That may sound, on the surface, like a statement of faith, but Scripture's saying that that's arrogance. Now, if God speaks to you and tells you to do something, and you're doing it, God will bless it. But you can't just make your own plans and do your own thing, and then say, "Okay, God, I've done this. Now I want you to bless me. You have to bless me." See, too often in in Scriptural circles, most of us have seen this. People will try to take God's word and reduce it down to some magic formula that if you say this and you do this and you confess this and you sow this that you can somehow force God to bless you in the way you think you ought to be blessed. God is still sovereign. And there is a principle of seed time and harvest that you sow, you reap, but it is not a thing that you... You can't, you can't manipulate God. Let me put it to you that way. God is faithful. God watches over his word to perform it. But you and I don't know what tomorrow brings. So back in Proverbs, he's talking about, he said, if you put your name on the line for a debt for somebody else, it's going to tell us here what we need to be doing. Verse six. So do this, my son, in verse three, and deliver yourself, for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself, plead with your friend. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber for your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, and like from the bird from the hand of the fowler. If you have a friend who has a need, and God has blessed you in such a way that you are able. To meet that need, by all means, do it. If God lays on your heart to give it to them. If God lays on your heart to loan it to them, there, there are scriptural provisions for lending. But do not go to somebody else and put your name on the line for what they're doing, because the control is completely out of your hands now. If that person is unfaithful, if that person's undisciplined, that person doesn't keep their job, you can be hung for it, and if If you had the money to start with, just lend it to them. If you don't have the money, then you don't have any business taking on that debt and that responsibility. You don't take on another person's debt or another person's responsibility. Okay, now, let's go on down to verse number six. This is one that may not be very popular in our society today. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Sluggard, don't that sound like a spiritual word? We don't use that kind of language anymore. When's the last time you called somebody a sluggard? Consider her ways and be wise, which have no captain, overseer or ruler. Provide her supplies in the summer and gather her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Now, once again, we're going back to principles here. Some of you may know people that's as lazy as the day is long and somehow or the other they can't find a way to get by. But the principle is, overall, if you do not have a good work ethic, if you are not willing to use what God has provided for you, it is going to lead to poverty. Just like verses 1 through 6. You may have co-signed for somebody sometime And they paid their bill and everything came out fine. But the principle is, Solomon is telling you, this is something that's dumb. You're better off not to do it. Same thing about your work habits. The principle is, success, by the most part, comes through applying yourself and hard work. You you can't just sit around and hope that God grows money on trees and then send your household servant to go out and pick the, the, the money for you. That's not the way life works. And, and Solomon understood that, and he's telling these people, he said, look at the sluggard. Look at the ant. He said, take a, take a lesson from the ant. This ant's smarter than you. This ant knows it has to get up and go to work. It, it amazes me that, you know, I've, I've been in you know the repair business for a lot of years, and I've, I've managed a lot of shops, and it amazes me, the people that I have lament that they can't pay their bills and yet I can't get them to show up for work in a timely manner. Anybody here ever had your own business experience that? There's some lazy folks out there. Okay, let's go on down to verse number 12. The wicked man, a worthless person, a wicked man walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly, he shall be broken without remedy. Now, in verses 1 through 5, it, tells you to don't, it says don't take responsibility for another person's debt. Verses 6 through 11 tells you don't be a bad steward of your time. You know, we know we know about the, the parable of the sower and the reaper and, you know, seed time and harvest. We understand all those things and the, the, that it, the King James Version uses the word talents. This ruler delivered, you know, ten talents or five talents or one talent to his servants and sent them out and then left and we remember the unfaithful steward. He did nothing with the talent. Well, in that particular... it's talking about money but it can be applied to any area of your life whatever God gives you whatever God puts in your hands, you are a steward of it and you have a responsibility to return to God and increase on what he has given you and there is one thing that we all have the same amount of and that is our time what do you do with your time what does your the way you use your time does it honor God? Praise God. Goes on talking about in in verse number twelve it starts talking about don't hang around with bad influences. You know you I had one man say one time he said you show me your six closest friends and I'll predict your future for you. You become a reflection of the people that you hang out with and you hang around with. If you hang around with, if I'll life, take. You realize it, it, it happens that way. Everything in life, everything, everything produces after its own kind. My children, you can look at my children. You can tell they're my children. You can look at a ch- a church, and you can tell something about the leadership of that church because that church will inherit the characteristics of its leadership. It it will begin to reflect the personality of its pastor and its leaders. But God says something about these people here that you're hanging around with. Verse number 16, these six things the Lord hates. Now, we've been told all along that God's a God of love. There's no hate in God. Well, actually there is. It's not directed at His people but it is directed at the things that bring harm to his people. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and most of us would say, oh, I'd never do any of those things, but what about that last one? And one who sows discord, among brethren. You ever been around somebody that they all the time have to stir things up? I mean, things can be going along just fine. Everything's moving along on an even keel and somebody has to get in the middle of it and stir something up. Praise God. Now, these first four I've covered basically just on a surface level. They're pretty simple concepts. They're things that God says don't do these things so proverb Solomon says these are not wise things to do the general principle of them is is they will bring about problems in your life they will bring you down i mean it's 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 about the characteristics of certain things certain behaviors certain people you know in law enforcement we have something called profilers and what these profilers do they can look at a particular crime look at the circumstances of it, they can check the crime scene, the type of crime that was permitted, committed, and they will come up with saying, well this crime was likely committed by a white guy between the ages of 30 and 55. And they can be surprisingly accurate in that, because they've studied and developed an understanding and of human nature and how people act and how people respond. And that's what Solomon is doing here. He said, I can look at your lifestyle and I can tell you've been doing this, 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 and this. Or if you do this, this, and this, and this, this is going to be the probable outcome of it. Now, in verse number 20, I'm going to get over into some of the areas that the pastor struggled with last week. You know, the church tends to shy away from the subject of sex. It really does. It's an embarrassing, touchy subject, but you know what? It's the reason we're all here. You don't think about it. You didn't get here without it. You know, it's you know, it's, it's one of those things. Sometimes my children think like, you know, the, 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 that action is a, is a foreign concept with mom and dad. They must think, that, well, I have three kids, they must have think we only did it three times. But it's, it's universal. We all understand it, but we also understand some of the problems that it produces, and we're a little bit reluctant to talk about it and discuss it in a polite society. But brothers and sisters, our... Society is saturated with it today. You know, the pastors m- made this statement. You know, in some of our meetings, numerous times, he said there's three areas that the devil will always use to bring a minister down: power, money, sex. And if you've been around very long, you've seen somebody fall from it. Now. Verse number 20 said, Son, keep your father's commandment and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, you will, they will speak unto you. Take my counsel and pay attention to it. Study it. In, uh, chapter, back in chapter 4, I think it's verses twenty-one, twenty-two. 22 it says, My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear to my saying. Keep them before your eyes. Hide them in the midst of your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Is that a spiritual law? That if you study God's word, you're guaranteed health and long life? No. But the principle of it is, the principles of God's word tend to lead to life and health in you. Going down to verse number 24. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of the seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyeballs. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. The crust, the the, the least desirable part of the bread. You're still bread, but you're not a very good piece of bread because that's that's what this woman will take you to. Guys, use a little bit of... Let me just make this clear, though. You know, we, we, we're talking about Solomon and his wisdom. Solomon's given us some very, very wise words here. But I want you to understand something about human nature that Solomon never was able to apply his own principles to his own life. How many of you would agree that having 700 wives and 300 concubines probably wasn't a very wise thing to do? And in the end, what happened? It pulled his heart away from God. I mean, guys, let me tell you what. If you need a thousand women in your harem, you've got some serious issues. You've got some serious things that need to be cast out of you. You're, you're, you all are laughing at me. Some of you look at me like you never heard that before. That that that's what scripture teaches. Why Solomon had seven hundred wives, and then a thousand concubines, which were basically a lower-level wife that didn't have inheritance rights, and it's a little bit complicated there. But you're talking a thousand women. If, if if he went and slept with one of them every night, it'd take him almost three years to make the rounds. And, you know, actually, Scripture does not specifically prohibit polygamy, plural marriage, having multiple wives. But if you go back and study it, it never worked out good. You see, there's things that were recorded in God's Word for our benefit, for our understanding. Okay, how did it work for them? Have a, have a Dr. Phil moment. How's this working for you? And with Solomon, it didn't work well. Look, look at Look at Rachel and Leah with Isaac. It didn't work well. You know, it's... Verse number 27. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be Innocent. Verse number 30 says, "The people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. But when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up the substance of his house. In other words, if, you, if this guy steals from you because he's hungry, you might not like the fact that you were, he stole from you, but you can at least understand it, and you're going to then render some kind of punishment for him, but at least you understand why you, the guy did it. Verse number thirty-two: Whoever commits with adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. You know, every you know, sin is in a sexual sin is in a different category than all other sins that are listed in God's Word. It has a higher degree of consequence for it. Honor and Wounds and dishonor he will get, his reproach will not be wiped away, for jealousy is a husband's fury, therefore he will not spare in the day of vengeance, he will accept no recompense, nor will he be appeased through though he give many gifts. Now I gotta be careful about this. So I'll just apply it to everybody. If I did something stupid and I stole from you, or I if I if I said something mean about you or something like that we could probably get together. We could talk this out. I could repent. I could apologize. And our fellowship could probably be restored. On the other hand, guys, if you catch me fooling around with your wife, there probably ain't nothing I'm going to be able to say or do or no gift that I'm going to be able to give you that's going to be able to heal that hurt and restore that divide that came between us. It's just not going to happen. And yet, you know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus was a radical teacher. Jesus had these things about, he said things like, he said, it has been written, you shall not commit adultery. But he said, I say unto you, if you look on a woman to lust after in your heart, you have already committed adultery. So, what's the difference between the actual act? Opportunity. If you let that grow in your heart, your heart and you let that fester in your heart, the opportunity, i to tell you what, the devil's going to make sure that the opportunity comes along for you to fulfill some kind of lust or desire that you have in your heart. Guys, it, folks, it has to be dealt with. Now, I'm going to go over, I, I find statistics interesting. and it, 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 What does what what statistics do? illustrates human nature. So I'm going to talk tonight about some statistics about people in the church. And these came together in groups like the Barna Group, Focus on the Family, uh, Christianity Today, Josh McDowell Ministries. And I noticed the trends over these surveys that came out. It's, it's, you, you don't see one survey that says 80% and one says 10%. They're surprisingly close to each other and then what I'm going to say this to say, tell you why the teaching that I'm going through in this last chapter, after part of this chapter is so important for the church today and the church needs to deal with it. According to the statistics, 40 to 50% of Christian men, and we're not talking about Jehovah Witness, we're not talking about Catholics, we're not talking about liberal, we're talking about fundamental Bible-believing Protestant Christianity, 40 to 50% of Christian men have a problem with porn. And you know, before Pastor came on, we went back when our church was structured a little different than it was, we had, a, we had a men's group, and I happened to be the men's director of that group. And we were doing a study on, from a book called Every Man's Battle. Some of you may be familiar with the book. And got, men opened up a lot on that thing. We talked about issues, we talked about problems. And I can tell you, was there, did everybody in the room have a problem? No. But I can tell you that the statistics are showing here were probably pretty accurate. Probably about half the men at some, may not be now, but at some point in their walk in Christianity have struggled with pornography. They, there was a university up in Canada here a few years back that was studying the effects of pornography on um, men young men, and they decided to go through the campus and they were gonna try to get together two groups, one group that had indulged in porn and one group that had never, never viewed porn and see if there was a difference in their thought processes and their brains. They was gonna do brain scans. The problem came about. You know how many young men in college they were able to find that had never viewed porn? Zero, none. You can't put together a, a group to study when you can't even find that many men. Now, here, here's one that really, really, really shocked me. And it may shock some of you. 25 to 35% of Christian women have a horn problem. And in my mind, I always really visualized that it was a man's issue. And it is on a factor of two to one over what men have A much bigger problem with it, but women. But it's starting to move over to where women are getting into it as well, and and these statistics hold true through the church. Actually, a lot of the 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 organizations that took the surveys think because of even though they put out a survey and say, "Okay, this is a uh, closed survey; your information will never be." shared with anyone else, it's completely confidential, they still believe that a certain percentage will tend to lie even in those circumstances. So they think the percentages may even be a little bit higher than that. One survey indicated that 57% of pastors in this survey had watched porn within the last 12 months. Brothers and sisters, we're talking about the church here. This is one area that we are somewhat failing in. 75 to 80% of male Bible college students struggle with porn. Do you know that also 75 to 80% of Bible college graduates get out of the ministry completely within five years of graduating? Pastor, you've probably seen a lot of them go through. It's a hard life. There's a lot of expectations on you. Some, Some of you can remember a few years back, a good number of years back, when we had two major television evangelists, very popular television evangelists, went down one after the other and both of them were because of sexual sin and if you go back and look at it in both cases these men tried to get help and the people they went to to try to get help from sold them out back when I was doing the um, the, the, the men's class on the every man's battle I counseled the men in there Said you need to find somebody in your life that you can be accountable to. Someone that you can sit down face to face with and ask the hard questions, and they can ask you the hard questions. And I told him one thing I said, Look, I'm gonna tell you right now if someone comes to you in confidence wanting your help, and you go out and blab it, I'm going to embarrass you. Because you're, you're totally destroying the incentive for them to make a change. Of, of those, these uh, group 40 to 50% involved in porn, you know, only 19% of those are actively trying to get free. A whole bunch of them have just given up. I, I, I Brothers and sisters, I can tell you from experience from the past, porn will suck you in deeper and deeper and deeper. And you will reach a point in your life that you cannot look at a member of the opposite sex without having sexual motives in your mind. As a guy, every woman you see, whether she's tall, short, fat, skinny, pretty, ugly, every one of them, you'll be undressing with your eyes. Now, what does that do to your ability to be a minister to your brothers and sisters. Back when I was growing up, my grandmother had a steel pot that was in her kitchen. And about this big around, about this tall, and it was covered with a granite material. Some of you older folks know exactly what I'm talking about. A a granite-covered steel pot, and she would put it on her cook stove, and she would cook up a big pot of beans in it. And I ate many a bowl of beans out of that pot. In the other room of the house, there was a steel pot about this big around that was all covered with granite. And this one had a little granite-covered lid on it. And it was affectionately called a thunder mug. You know what? They were very similar in appearance. They were made and constructed out of the same material. Some people call them a chamber pot. We didn't have indoor plumbing in the house, and so this was kept in the back bedroom, so if you had to get up and use the bathroom in the middle of the night, you had a pot to do it in. But you know what? I never saw her use that one on the stove to cook beans in. You say, why are you saying this? There are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. If you fill your heart and your life with lust, if God's going to work through that, he has to move through all that lust. If I'm laying hands on somebody, the uncleanness in me is touching them. You, see, the pastor brought it down when he was talking about it. The sexual act is not just a physical act. It is a total bonding spirit, soul, and body. When you commit adultery, when you go into another person You are taking into yourself all the spiritual influences that they have in their life. If that person was a child molester, you're exposing your spirit to those same demonic influences that influence them. Sleeping with a person is like sleeping with every person that they've ever slept with previously. And that may sound gross to you, but that's really what it is spiritually. Spiritually. Praise God. I've got to be careful what I say here. In in our culture today, the average age that a child first views pornography is about 11 years old. When I was 11 years old, I don't think I even knew what sex was. I mean, in my mind, it seems to me like in my mind, I thought that when a couple got married, something magically clicked inside the woman's brain and body, and her body automatically started producing children. I had no concept at 10, 11, 12 years old of exactly where, how that process worked. But our kids today know it. They understand it. They've seen it. But they've never seen it the way God meant for them to understand it. One man, one woman, totally committed to each other for life. You know that in the church, a lot of these statistics we have about relationships and sexuality in the church almost mirror those things in the world. The divorce rate among Christians and sadly to say pastors hovers right about 50%. Half of all Christian marriages will end in divorce. Do you know that if you take a marriage where both the man and the woman were virgins when they got married. Eighty-three percent of those marriages will last a lifetime. That one difference. You know why that is? If one thing, somebody's got a little bit of self-control, they're willing to stand by God's principles and God's plans. Over 80 percent of Christian couples have sex before they get married. You know what you've done when you do that? You have set a standard in your life. We set set spiritual absolutes. Some things are absolutely right and some things are absolutely wrong. You've set a standard in your life that I think it's okay to sleep with somebody I'm not married to, to under certain circumstances. You have refused to draw the line that says God says don't do this unless you're married. And so it's just another step farther. Well, I I remember a pastor told me one time that a woman in his church came to him and, and she said, I'm getting ready to divorce my husband. Well, why? Is he unfaithful? Oh, no, he's not unfaithful. Does he provide for your household? Oh, yeah, he's a good worker. Is he abusing you? No. Well, why are you getting a divorce? She said, because I have discovered that God wants me to be happy. And I'm not happy in this marriage, so since God wants me to be happy, it must be God's will that I get out of this marriage. Some of you look at me in total shock, but it's the lengths people will go to to justify their actions. And we, you know, let me tell you something about marriage. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes you just have to suck it up and deal with some things and power through this. And, you know, I mean, there, I, I, I'm reminded of a story. a takes story, I believe. There was a young pastor. He was desiring to be married, and he had two young ladies in his life that he'd come to know and express some interest in. And one of them was just absolutely knockout gorgeous. She was a beautiful girl. She was beautiful. The other one, she was very, very talented. She could play the piano and she could sing like a bird. She sounded great but she was ugly as a mud fence post. So after much prayer and debating and thinking about it, he just decided, you know, it probably would be best for my ministry if I went ahead and pursued this talented one that can sing. So they go ahead, they go through the the wedding ceremony and they go on their honeymoon and everything goes along like you normally would expect it to. And of course... The next morning, he wakes up and he looks over, and she's there, and she's still as ugly as she ever was, and now she ain't got no makeup on. Her hair's all a mess. He, he said, Oh, sing, honey, sing. <laughs> I thought you could use a little laugh there. But back to this issue the pornography. Builds images in your mind. It builds strongholds in your life. It. The research shows that it it's more addictive than heroin. You you get it in your mind. It builds pleasure centers in your brain, and your brain releases chemicals, and then you reach the point that if you don't get it, those pleasure chemicals don't get released, and you feel depressed. You feel down. You feel agitated. You feel angry, and that's about the only thing you can find that will calm that back down, so it actually becomes a physical addiction. There's a few things that I can counsel you in on this. Number one, keep your relationship with God front and center. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in the Word. Grow in your love to Him to where your love for Him is greater than your love for that garbage. second of all is accountability if you're struggling you find somebody that you can trust that you can sit down with face to face and say brother sister i'm struggling in this area i need your prayer i need your support i want you to hold me accountable i remember brother landon sarton was in here a few weeks back and he and i got to hand it to the guy being willing to stand up there and just bare his soul and tell people what he struggled with and what he's going through. And he, and he talked about it. You know, you, you the person you're counseling with, the person that's your accountability partner, may be doing fine today. But what did he say? It's always knocking at the door. It's always waiting for a weak time. And that's that time when you need to pick up your phone and say, hey, brother, I'm struggling tonight. I need your prayers. Men, women, all. You, we, need, we need people we are accountable to. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. You need people who can counsel you, who can look you in the eye and, and tell you, you're wrong. We can we, we get along with people pretty good as long as they're praising us and telling us how good we're doing and how things are doing good. But how do you handle it when somebody looks you in the eye and says, bro, you're wrong. You need to straighten up. Do you have enough love and respect for anyone that you're willing to take that kind of language from them? Can a man take fire in his bosom and not be burned? You can't do it. You can't handle it. It will destroy you spiritually. It'll destroy your, your life in your church. It'll destroy your life in your home. It'll destroy your health there, there, there's nothing good about it. I'm going to bring, bring one more point and close with this. And I'm going to, and I don't want anyone to take this wrong. Please, please understand what I'm saying, what the spirit that this is coming from. Understand that you have people sitting all around you, people that you meet in your church circles and Christian circles every day that are fighting a battle and they are struggling. Don't do things that makes that struggle more difficult for them. What am I saying here? I'm not a clothesline preacher. Believe me, you cannot put on enough clothes to be holy. You can't. But if you are dressing in a provocative way, exposing parts of your body that ought not to be exposed in public, you are making it more difficult for someone who may already be struggling. And if you love your brothers and sisters, don't dress that way, don't act that way. Hallelujah. Now, this this was a tough, tough one to bring across. But at the same time, I understand from my past how difficult it is and how important it is that we get away from this. Because if, if I was, brothers and sisters if half the men in this church and half, a quarter of the women in this church had cancer, would you say we had an epidemic on our hands? But if this church follows the same trends as the rest of the church body, a third to half of this church has got a porn problem. It's interesting. There was a, there was a company that was interviewed that provides uh, closed-circuit video for hotel chains you know where you go into the motel room and you can have what's called pay for view you can select a movie on your TV and you can watch it and you, and the cost of that movie will be put on your hotel bill and this company provides those movies for motel chains and this company noticed a trend they looked at the Tulsa Broken Arrow area and anytime there was a big religious convention taking place in that town where lots and lots of Christian people were coming in to listen to the good televangelists get up there and preach. They noticed that the demand for adult videos in the motel industry skyrocketed. It went up by a factor of over double what they normally So, what does it mean? God created you a sexual being. He created you to respond to certain stimuli. But he put guards around it and said, okay, I've created this for you. I've created it for your pleasure as well as for reproduction. But keep it within the confines of what I have set for you. Praise God. There's, we've all heard the stories. Pastor running off with the church secretary or the piano player. We've all heard the stories of, of successful ministries being brought down. A man is reduced to a crust of bread. These people have even, The televangelist I was talking about earlier, both of them are back in the ministry today and doing okay. But look how much damage it did to their ministries. The lives of the people who trusted in them. God is going to target you, or Satan's going to target you, not because of just what he can do to you, but the effect that he can have on everyone around you. Like I, like I mentioned earlier from the teaching, I go messing around with some guy's wife, there's nothing I'm ever going to be able to do to restore that fellowship, that friendship. that. If, if, if I go, for that matter, even if my wife was to forgive me and take me back in, she might still love me, but the trust would be destroyed. Our, our relationship would never quite be the same again. Guys, this stuff will destroy you. I just want you to prayerfully consider what I've taught on tonight. Look at your own life. You may not struggle with it at all. Or you maybe you did and you got away from it years ago. But I guarantee you there's somebody sitting around you that needs your prayer, needs your support, needs your counsel, needs your encouragement. Scripture says, He who stands, take heed lest he fall. You may be standing today, but you don't know what tomorrow brings. You may have a wonderful relationship in your home, but circumstances, things that life throws at, you can change that dramatically. And then you're faced with some of the tools you may have had. Scripture teaches that you're better off to be married than to burn with lust. But what happens if you are married and you, want you that tool you had to fulfill those desires, all of a sudden, is for some reason or other removed from you through death or health issues or emotional issues, then you find yourself in a vulnerable position. And if you have been programming your mind with garbage, how are you going to respond to it? Guys, ladies, bring it under control. Put, put it, 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 it's not. You know what it is? It's sin. You know what sin means? It means missing the mark. Did God put these marks out here and say, okay, I'm going to set this standard for my people because I'm just mean and I don't want them to have any fun? He puts it there for our protection. He wants you to live a joy, I didn't say happy, but a joy-filled life. And the devil will do anything he can to, to, to take that away from you. You, know, you. you realize that you were created in God's image and likeness. You know, what, you know what brought Satan down? Satan said, I will ascend. I will be like the most high God. So then Satan gets cast out of heaven. Satan wanted to be like God. And then God comes along and creates man in his image. In his likeness. So every time the devil looks at you, he sees what he desired to be and never can. And he hates you with every fiber of his being. And he wants to hurt you because he knows if he can hurt you, he hurts the Heavenly Father that loves you and gave himself so much for you. And I want to encourage you the grace of God covers all the stuff I've talked about tonight. There, there, there's no sin. You, you can't sin great enough that God's grace But God cannot take away from you the consequences for actions that you may have got involved in. And David, has, has anybody here committed adultery and murdered the woman's husband to cover it up? Don't see nobody. You know what? God still loved David. Still forgave David. But David paid a horrible price the rest of his life because The word of God teaches, and we're going back now from principles to spiritual laws that if you sow to the flesh you will of the flesh reap corruption. So, guys, don't sow to your flesh.